Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. I have a message for you. I thought I was going to repeat my message from Wednesday night. Man, if you weren't here Wednesday, minister on the, the Holy Spirit. I can tell you right now, a church that consistently disregards and even denies the Holy Spirit is not ready for what's coming in this world. You're not. A church that wants to deny and disregard the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, you're not ready. Because Jesus specifically said in four instances between two chapters, I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you a helper. Hey, I'm sending you a helper. If he's sending us a helper, that tells us two things. One, I need help, right? I need help. And two, what is coming is bigger than I am. Anybody felt like that lately? This is bigger than me. This is greater than me. I need help. I need help raising these kids. I need help when everything shuts down and I'm locked in the house. Yeah, some of y'all were blaming your teachers until about two weeks into you found out the teacher wasn't the problem. (laughs) Come on. So you need to grab that message. It's online. And I'm sure the Lord will have us go deeper into it. But we talked about how we can yield and, and, and see how the Holy Spirit is operating in our life. It's time for the church to, be, uh, to not be afraid of the Holy Spirit. I'm done with that mess. I'm, I'm over it. I'm so over it. People don't want to have a, a conversation about the third person of the Godhead, the one that is living inside of you because you're scared of what might happen. Give me a break. How many things do we entertain and engage in our life that we know that there's a risk that it could get out of hand, but yet we still do it? And I don't care what your experience was. I don't care what you've seen. I don't care what people have said. If you're shutting your ear off to the conversation of the Holy Spirit and his work in your life, you're missing the very thing that's going to get you through what's ahead. He's the helper. He is your helper. You, you can't do it, and you won't do it without him. You can get all the, the church friends you want. You can get all the scripture you want. You, you know, you can't even read this book without the assistance of the Holy Spirit. It says that this stuff is not naturally discerned. It's spiritually discerned. You won't ever get this until you yield to him. So we need the Holy Spirit, amen? So I'm not going to re-preach that message. Thankful for technology that we can record it. And we can put it out where you can get it. And I pray that you will get that message and it will be a blessing to you. Second Kings chapter 5 and verse 1 in the New Living I'm reading. says, the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army. Because through him, the Lord had given Aram great victories. But... Though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered 
from leprosy. And at this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. And one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king when, what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. And the letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Farpar, better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, when he says simply, when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept this gift from your servant. Naaman was a commander of an army. He was revered by his peers, and even more so, he was revered by his employer or his superior, the king himself. Naaman had conquered many great battles, fought many battles, waged war. The Bible says there in verse 1 that through him, the Lord used him to gain these victories, to get these victories. So he was used to being highly regarded. He's an honorable man. When people looked at him, he was a man of good reputation, all these great victories. But it says there at the end of verse 1, but though Naaman was a mighty warrior, He suffered from leprosy. 
though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. The title of my message today is A Risk of Exposure. A Risk of Exposure. A Risk of Exposure. Naaman, on the outside, a great man, a mighty man, a warrior. But on the inside, underneath the shield, underneath the victories, underneath the breastplate, underneath the armor, there was a disease eating away. There was a disease that would cause him to be forced to isolate. This was a disease that was so contagious that they were required to isolate and limit their activity, being around other people in public, possibly exposing others to the virus that he had. I know that's completely irrelevant to today. We know nothing about viruses that cause you to have to be isolated and quarantined so you don't share what you have, right? This is quarantine before quarantine. This is self-distancing before, social distancing before social distancing. We know in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that there were many accounts of lepers, that they were even uh, forced to live in leper colonies. And it was actually by the Mosaic law, it was a form of impurity to even be around them or have any contact with them. Not just naturally, but they thought even spiritually uh, it would contaminate you. Just being around these individuals. So socially, this was not an acceptable disease. Socially, this was not something that, you know, you could just carry on like everybody else. So it affected you more than just physically, more than just your skin peeling away and falling off, more than your nerve endings becoming so numb that you don't even know when you're, when you're harmed or when you're damaged or when a part of your body has been affected and so disease just runs rampant through your body. You don't even know the condition that's happening physically, but now mentally he's being affected or a leper would be affected, having to be removed from society, having to be removed from the people they run with. This would have cost Naaman his job. This would have cost Naaman who he was. This would have cost Naaman his reputation. The risk of exposure was far greater than possibly contaminating somebody else and and them catching this horrific disease. But the, the exposure for him would have, he would have risked everything had this been known. So he got really good at hiding it. Got really good at keeping it tucked away. He got really good at keeping it away from those that if they knew what he had or what was really going on in his life, it would have compromised everything for him. He got good at putting it under the armor. He got good at covering it up with his victories. He got good at covering it up with his reputation. He got good at covering it up with what people thought about him. He got good at covering, he got good at winning and doing great, great enough things and mighty enough things and getting enough victories and winning enough battles. He got good at covering up what, if it had been exposed, would have cost him. 
He got good at covering it up. You know, I, I heard um, statistics when the pandemic was really starting to run rampant. Things were starting to get shut down. P, you know, parents were having to work from home. Children are at home. You heard statistics where, you know, domestic abuse could be on the rise. Child abuse could be on the rise. It's amazing how busyness can cover things up in our lives. Isn't it? It's amazing how just keeping our routine and, you know, I I, I know people that went to work to get away from what was at home. That was their that was their way to get away. That was their way to 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 get free from the stuff at home. And not even in a bad way like I don't want to be here, but but you know what? I, I can't be around the kids 24/7. My job is my safe place. My job is my way to not be exposed. My job is my way to 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 be able to have some separation. So things changed. Part of what happened is it wasn't that problems were created in the home. It's that the problems were exposed in the home. It wasn't that anything just all of a sudden showed up. It was all of a sudden our awareness to what was there the whole time showed up. Now I'm aware that our relationship isn't the way it should be. Busyness hides that. Now all of a sudden I'm aware that I don't have the input and, and the, the, uh, the, 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 the level of parenting that I ought to have in my child that I found out really quick that I was no good at helping my son with half of his homework. I'm serious. I'll be the only one today that will be transparent enough and that will expose myself. I'm up on the platform. I got the microphone in my hand. I might as well. Y'all just keep your, your, your face mask on. Y'all just keep your, your churchy Sunday look on. That's okay. But I know I'm getting to the heart because the word gets to the heart. The word doesn't mess with surface stuff. The word gets down to what's really there. And if you allow this word today to go down deep, and pluck up some things, and work on some things, you'll be better for it. But there were a lot of things that were exposed when all this stuff started happening. There were a lot of things that were revealed. There were a lot of things that were brought to, that were heightened. There were a lot of things that were uh, made aware, that were already there, stuff that we were already struggling with, but I didn't have to focus on it because I had this. I didn't have to dwell on it because I had this. I didn't have to give it attention because I had this. So we can get like Naaman. In fact, we have a whole society today that is run, that is predicated on the the availability to produce whatever image I want to produce regardless of what reality is. We can run as far away from reality as we want to today. I can make everybody else think through this little box right here and its ability to create whatever image that I want people to see. And then I can 
put it out. I have full control over when I put it out and what I put out and the caption that's underneath it. In fact, even if I don't like people's responses to it, I can remove those too. We have a great level of control today over reality. But this is the problem. Reality doesn't go away. It just gets covered up. It's always there. We have this risk of exposure. And in times like this, I've, I've said it a million times if I've said it once, that it's times of chaos and times of, of trial and times of struggle that really break you down to what's there. You find out what's really there. You find out what people are really made of, not when things are comfortable and convenient, not when things are going their way, not when they're getting exactly what they want, not when they can project the exact image that they want to project. You find out what people are really made of when we remove things. And the more isolated people have become, the more aware they've become of issues. Y'all with me? On the battlefield, Naaman could look like a mighty warrior. But in his own home, he was dying of a disease. This is a disease that would spread to the point that eventually he couldn't hide it. Eventually, it would come out. Eventually, this disease would come to light. Eventually, his commanding officer would say, what's that? scab on your arm. Eventually, he wouldn't be able to wear a helmet or a breastplate or a shield or armor to shield himself, not from the enemy on the outside, but from the enemy on the inside. Because he's winning battles on the battlefield, but he's losing the battle in the home. He's losing the most important battle, the one on the inside. He's losing the battle on the inside that after time, you're not going to be able to shield yourself. cover this up any longer. There's a risk of exposure. So much so that verse 2 says, at this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. It ultimately becomes a servant, a slave, in Naaman's household that sees what's really there, the enemy. She sees exposure. She sees what he's been hiding. She sees what's been laying in the dark. She sees what no one else has seen. She sees what he's been working so diligently to to, to remain uh, covered up and to remain hidden from sight because of what it would cost him. And so she sees a vulnerability. She sees something that nobody else has seen. She sees the man that's on the battlefield that's creating all these victories and winning all these battles and has all these accolades, but in the house behind closed doors in isolation when all that stuff is removed, something destructive is revealed. When we remove the busyness, it reveals what's really there. 
when we remove the accolades, it reveals what's really there. When we remove the, the Facebook posts and the feeds and, the, and all the things that we accumulate to say, look at how good I'm doing, to look at, look, look at, and, and now we've even moved to the level of we will share just enough tragedy and, and just enough rawness and realness so that people think I'm down to earth and touchable and reachable, but it's still not reality. Still not reality. I saw a post one time that a mom had posted and there's laundry everywhere and the kids, I don't know, making a mess. and it, it's, it's created. It's a false reality. Because you took it with a DSLR camera that's probably two or $5,000. It's got the perfect tone to it, perfect filter on it. Come on. She even had this little, this little board, little pegboard where you put the letters on it. You know, you've seen those. And, and it, it said something like, you know, motherhood isn't always what it, I, I don't know, some silly saying, I don't even remember. All set up. The first thought in my mind is who's taking the picture? You hired a professional photographer to take a picture of the messed up thing you call reality, and that's not even the reality. You probably took a thousand of those photos and picked out the one that looked like what you were trying to depict, right? That's what we do. I mean, just yesterday, we were at a family function. We go to take a family photo. I'm hitting Camden on the side of the shoulder. I'm pinching him in the back. You can't see that, not in the photo, but I'm like, if you don't smile, kid, if you don't get us off of this, you know what every dad does? The wife says, let's take a family photo. And on the inside, the man's thinking, "Ugh, are you kidding me? You're a dad in here, and you go, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Let's, uh, how many pictures do you want? Let's do this. Let's do that. You ain't thinking that. No, you come down to the altar, confess your sins. <laughs> ain't no man thinking that. So the first thing we're thinking of is let's get this over as quick as possible. I'm already wearing clothes I didn't want to wear. It's way too hot for what I'm wearing. So then to top it all off, your nine-year-old son doesn't want to smile, makes the wrong kind of smile, makes silly faces, holding up bunny ears to his little brother. I'm not lying about any of that. All of that happened in the span of like 30 seconds. Why? Because reality is never what we put out. It's never what we project. It's never what we expose. Most of the time, reality is exposed on accident not on purpose. Most of the time, reality is exposed because we've lost control over our ability to control it and maintain it. It doesn't come out because we want to share it. It's because something got so broken that we either had to share it or it exposed us without us even having any say-so. 
Very rarely do I have a man come to me and say, I'm battling with the pornography addiction. I can probably count maybe two people that have ever done that. And even getting to that point, we had to take some steps to even get there. Why? Because I'm not going to make this readily available to you. I'll go to that if it's the last resort. And even in doing that action, we still, guys, want to look like the victor. There's still a measure of us that says, well, look what I'm exposing to you. That's great, isn't it? We still have a level on the inside of us that we want to hold on to. I've got it together. And Naaman's losing control quick. A man of great valor, a man of victory, a mighty warrior, one that has great accolades and on the outside looks like he has it all together. His Facebook profile, man, it looks awesome. He uses the right filters. He's got the right captions. He's got the right cameras. He's got the right lenses. They make the right poses. But on the inside, he's literally peeling away layer by layer. And at some point, the exposure is going to be so great, he will no longer be able to hide it. This is the condition that a lot of people are in, especially in our world right now, the level of exposure and the level of reality. And, and, and here's what I'm trying to get across is when it's exposed to us, we need to do something about it. But usually there's this gap between when it's exposed to us and when it's exposed beyond us. Now, before you whip out your phone and start blasting Facebook with your reality, there are certain environments that don't need your exposure. There are certain environments that don't need the reality. I'm not telling you to go out and start, you know, snapping photos and posting captions of what is really going on in your life. I'm going to direct you to how do we handle this risk of exposure. Healing. True healing. A real sense of healing. Not even a fake healing. Not even having a couple meetings that make you feel better like you've accomplished something and I met with the pastor or I met with a Christian godly friend. I let them know what's going on. No, I'm talking about real steps to healing. So typically what happens is when exposure comes, whether a little bit or a lot, whether your best friend finds out or whether the whole community finds out, When we start thinking of solutions and when we start thinking of healing and when we start moving in the direction of God, how do I get free from this? Because Jesus said, the Lord, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set at liberty the captive, restore sight to the blind, to preach the favorable day of the Lord. We know God wants us free. Y'all know that? God does not want you bound. God does not want you broken. God does not want you just living in the soot and the filth of life. God wants you free. God wants you coming out. God wants you being able to be fully delivered 
So what happens in probably every single counseling meeting that I've had, from marriage counseling to individual counseling to whatever, there's usually a game plan developed somewhere along the line in our minds of how we're going to get free, of how we're going to come out. Almost like we're drawing up the playbook for God and saying, God, here's the plan of how I want to get out of this. The girl in verse 3 said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Pointed in the right direction. Pointed to the right person. It's all about going in the right direction. But a lot of times we go in the wrong, wrong direction before we go in the right direction. Almost every time that you see someone broken or hurting that needs healing, they'll say this, I got this. It won't happen again. I can do this. There's this thing on the inside. Just point me in the right direction. I'll get it. Just give me a book to read. Give me someone to meet with. We have the steps. We have it played out in our minds. We have the game plan. We know God wants us free. We know God wants us healed. God wants us delivered. But that little bit of control is still left within us. I can't control the exposure, so I'll control the healing. I've lost control of it coming out, but I will maintain control of keeping it, fixing it, healing it. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel has said. Because, man, there's nothing like when you're really hurting and broken. There's nothing like when you're really feeling lost on the inside, when you're really needing true healing to someone bringing you a possible solution. There's nothing like it. Man, you, you see the light at the end of the tunnel. You see the freedom. You begin to even imagine yourself free from that bondage free from this disease on the inside that's killing me away while I put on this facade on the outside. Man, you get that solution. You get that glimpse. It's like, yeah, let me go talk to that man. I mean, it's out now. Sometimes it's, it's just the freedom of somebody else finding out. Yeah, we've all been there. You wanted to say it. Sometimes you just wish somebody else knew what was going on. And now it's come out and it's almost like there's a freedom. Yes. Now we can deal with it. Is this too real for y'all? Is this too raw? Y'all good? So we can go back to the little churchy messages and I can give you three points and a scripture and get the worship team back up here, collect some offering and send us on our way. Or we can get real healing by the Spirit of God. A real deliverance, which is why I hope you came today. We're not checking boxes today. God wants to heal. So he's seeing the glimpse. Man, yeah, let's, let's, let's go see this prophet. Let's go see this man. 
So he told the king what the girl had said in verse 5, go and visit the prophet. The king of Aram told him, I will send a letter of introduction. And Naaman started out. There it is. He started out. He started out. He started out with a letter. And he started out with gifts of 750 pounds of silver. And he started out with 150 pounds of gold. And he started out with 10 sets of clothing. And he started out with what I can do. And he started out with what I have. He started out with his resources. He started out with what I can, what, I, what I'm capable of. He started out with what do I have in my possession. He started out with what do I have in my power. That's where we all start. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to pray more. And I'm going to meet with this person every Monday night at 7 o'clock. And I'm going to read this book. And I'm going to get to, I'm going to be better with my wife. And I'm going to get rid of the computer. And I'm going to not drink that. We all have the I'm going to. We all start out with what can I do? What is in, within my resource? What is at my disposal? So he starts out with his stuff. A lot of stuff. It's amazing. It's amazing the things that we'll accumulate for our own deliverance and healing. It's amazing the things that we'll offer up in exchange for real freedom. He wants to get free. 750 pounds of silver worth. 150 pounds of gold worth. 10 sets of clothing worth. A letter from the king worth. And he only exposed it to the king when he had to expose it to the king in hopes that this would lead him to getting healing. But still, on his terms. He wants God's healing on his terms. He wants God's will his way. He's still in control. And in a lot of control. The, the, the amount of what he's willing to expense for his freedom. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant, Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. First of all, the girl said to go to the prophet, not the king. <laughs> it's amazing when we get our eyes off of God and we put our eyes on man, what we'll trust in who we'll go to for our problems, who we'll go to for our issues. But the king of Israel read the letter, and when, when he read this, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. So the king, the other king, where Naaman is going, is like, they're setting us up. They're setting us up. I know that man. That's that great mighty warrior. That's that one with that great reputation. That's the one with all the, I know that. He goes, everywhere he goes, he conquers. And now they're setting us up. They've run out of people to go in and, and, and fight. So now they want to pick a fight. Apparently they're so bored over there. That 
they don't have anybody to fight, so they have to make up stuff to pick fights with people. So we're going to send our warrior who's got leprosy, and you're going to have to heal him. And if you don't, we're going to kill you, is what this king is thinking. This is set up. But thank God there's a man of God. Verse 8, but when Elisha, the man of God, we need men of God. I said, we need men of God that can see through agendas. We can see through lies. We can see through uh, uh, these, these, these plans that try to hide what is really going on underneath. And to Elisha, it's been exposed. To Elisha, he knows what's going on. Elisha, a man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay. And he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and his money and his clothes and his dignity, his reputation and his accolades and everything he's accomplished, and everything he's accumulated, and everything he's, all his resources, all the the great magnitude of what he has at his disposal, the great magnitude of what he's accumulated in his life. Let me me tell you how great I am. Let me tell you how awesome. I'm coming with my horses. I'm coming with my men. These are my guys. These, These guys listen to me. I'm in charge of them. This is who I am. You will know who I am. And Elisha says, send him to me so he'll find out who God is. You'll, you'll, you'll never get healed from something trying to tell God who you are. But you will receive healing when you realize who he is. Who he is. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger. He sent him out with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Now, why why did Naaman go to the prophet? To get healed. Not a trick question. Y'all are looking at me like, what's the answer? That's an easy one. He went to the man of God. He went to the prophet. He went to this other nation to get delivered. To get free. Exposure's taking place. Up until that point, he was good with covering it. Up until that point, he was good with isolating it. Up until that good, he was good at separating it from my work life and my home life. This is what I do, but this is who I am, but I want to be known by what I do instead of what I have. He created an identity around himself from this mighty warrior, from these accolades, from these battles, from these wars, from these victories. This is who I am. New identity all the while dying on the inside. So he hears that a prophet, a man of God. Like, okay, well, it's come out. People know now. 
So I might as well go on this journey for healing. And he goes and he finds the man of God to get healed. And the man of God doesn't come out himself to a man of reputation. This meager old prophet doesn't even dare show show his face and show himself to this great and mighty general, this warrior, this this man of great value. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've conquered? Do you know what I could do to you right now? Do you know the power that I have? Do you know what I have at my disposal? I mean, I just came with my chariots. I just came with my guys. I just came with my money, my silver and my gold. I just came to you with with, with my clothing. I've got this letter from the king himself. I'm here to get my healing and you don't even dare come out. And then you have the audacity to tell me and go and dip myself in water seven times in a dirty, nasty river. He goes on in the next verse, his response is Naaman became angry and he stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. And you know, we would call that person a person of great faith. If they walked in here today with the disease and it was exposed and, and they said, but I believe, I believe, man, man, I believe, I believe, Chase, if you just, if you just lay your, I know that I'll get my healing. I know that you can do it. I know that you can set me free. I know that you, I know that you, I know that you. We call that man, man, he's gonna get his healing. He's gonna see the victory. He's gonna, he's gonna come out on the other side. He's gonna get what he's believing for. He came expecting The only problem is, is God doesn't meet us on our terms. We meet him on his terms. See, there's real no trust in faith in what God can do. The trust in faith is in what he has done. He drew up the game plan. It's exposed. People are finding out. Somebody's given me a path where I could possibly see victory. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in all my glory, all my splendor, with the letter from the king himself, because that'll add credibility to who I am. That'll add credibility to what I've done, my accomplishments. And I'm going to take him my money. I'm going to take him my gold and my silver, lots of it. I'm going to even take him some clothes. And I've got this letter. And then he's going to come out, and he's going to wave his hand all over me, and he's going to heal me. There's no trust in God. The trust is if I'm good enough, if I do good enough, if I bring enough, if I have enough, then he'll have to heal me. God doesn't heal us and God doesn't deliver us and God doesn't free us to show everybody how good we are. Elisha said it. Then he will know that we serve the one true God in Israel. The healing is to glorify him, not you. 
You know, it's amazing to me. If, if, if I was a, a car salesman and you were looking at a vehicle that had a price tag on it of $30,000 and I came and said, do you know what? I'm going to let you have it for $1,000. And you came in ready to write the check for $30,000. And I said, you know what? I don't need thirty. Just give me a thousand. We're good. It's yours. Brand new thirty thousand dollar value. You gonna argue with me? You gonna fight me on that? You gonna say no? I don't want it for a thousand. Are you kidding me? I'm paying full price for the thing. This is what it's worth. I'm giving you all thirty thousand. You you trying to you trying to pull something over me? What's wrong with you? But yet Naaman, when he finds out that what he wants isn't really going to cost as much as he thought, gets angry and storms away. <laughs> he just found out it's not going to cost you seven hundred and fifty pounds of silver. It's not going to cost you 150 pounds of gold. It's not going to cost you all these resources. It's not going to cost you all this. All it's going to cost you is your obedience. Woo. Yeah, we get in moments where we'd rather pay for stuff than bring our pride down. We get in moments when healing's coming and we have the game plan in our mind of how it's going to go and how we're, what it's going to cost. And, and you even tell yourself what it's going to cost you and you, you, you deem it out in your mind, but it's worth it to pay that therapist that much every month. It's worth it to, to, to maybe have to take a pay cut but at least I'm getting free. It's worth it that I maybe have to move from, from this location. But then when God shows up and you've played out in your mind everything it's going to cost you to get your healing and deliverance, and then he comes up with one simple command. It's not going to cost him a dime. He's actually going to be able to go back home scot-free, completely delivered, and not have to give up a dime of what he was expecting to have to pay. But he is going to have to go back home. A mighty warrior that bowed his knee. A general that was used to giving commands, not taking commands. And ultimately, he'd have to go back home saying, I thought I knew what was going to bring my deliverance. But there was another way. It wasn't that the command was difficult. It's that the command was different. (laughs) And this is the thing. The healing and the deliverance and the freedom that God wants to produce in our lives, it's yours. He's not trying to withhold anything from you. In fact, he's trying to get it to you. But who was standing in the way of Naaman? Naaman. 
Who is standing in the way of Naaman's freedom? Naaman himself. His pride. His inability to just simple, follow the simple command. In fact, isn't that what his officer told him? In verse 12, Naaman's carrying on. Aren't the rivers of Damascus better than any rivers here? And don't we do that? God reveals a plan, and we think we have a better plan than God. You know why? Because God, when you're trying to get bitterness and offense out of your heart, he will have you go to the very person that should be asking you for forgiveness and ask you to forgive them. No, 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 I got a better way. (laughs) I got a better plan. We always have a better plan than God, right? We always know of a better way, a different way. God, I'm willing to give up all this. He's saying, I don't want any of that. I just want you. I don't want your stuff. I want you. It's amazing the expense that we will go to to not walk out in faith, to not live by faith. It's amazing the work. It's amazing the, the, the exhaustion we'll bring on ourselves. It's amazing the things that we'll allow to, to, to go on within us. It's amazing the amount of money, physical, tangible money, that we will spend to not have to obey God's voice. It's amazing what we'll go through to go down every path other than what God is directing us to go down. So Naaman turned and went away in a rage, but verse 13, his officers tried to reason with him. Thank God he had some officers that had some reasoning ability, amen? When you're going through this kind of stuff, You better take guard who's around you. Sometimes we only keep people around because they tell us what we want to hear. And then we wonder why we're in the mess we're in. You need some people that won't tell you what you want to hear. Hello? Just say amen. Just fake it if you got to. I mean, you're already here. They think you're one of us anyways, you know, just... It's okay. Yeah, we'll keep people around that only contribute to the problem, not the solution. But thank God, Naaman listened to this officer. Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says, simply. You should certainly obey, certainly obey when he says, simply, go and wash and be cured. Naaman was so used 
to doing great things that he couldn't bring himself to do a small thing. Worship team, if you'd come. We get so used to doing and adding up and building up the greatness of what we look like, what we're going to look like, what people know and what people want to know. And even when people find out things about us that we don't want them to know, we still have a great way of packaging it so we can come out looking a certain way. And Naaman had gotten so conditioned to doing the great thing that when he was asked to do the small thing, couldn't follow through. You know, in that moment right there, a man that he was used to giving commands to offered him the greatest advice of his life. Because in turn, Naaman goes and responds favorably, dips himself in the Jordan, and receives his healing. I wonder today if the victory and the blessing and the promise and the freedom and the healing and the deliverance, what if it would cost you something much smaller than what you were coming and thinking you'd have to give up? What if it's not going to cost you as much? What if? I wonder. What if? What if freedom was on the other side of a small act? A small act of obedience. A small act of laying yourself down, laying your pride down, laying your agenda down, laying your plan down, laying your way down, laying your will down, laying your ideas down. But God, I've been planning this for this long. But God, I've been, I've been trying to do this and look at what I've done and look at how long I've been in church and look at how many times I've read the Bible and look at all the notes I took and look at all the, the friends I have and look at all the stuff. And God's saying, will you look at what I've done? I've sent my son. I've sent my son Jesus to die on a cross for you. I've sent my son to shed his blood for you. I've sent his son, I've sent my son to give his life for you. And then I called him back to life, raised him up again. Look at what I've done for you. If you could just see the magnitude of what I have done, you would see the smallness of what you have done, and you would bow in submission to my command. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.